Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast that currently has the same number of full-time senior staffers as 10 Downing Street. My name is Corey Hazelhurst and my partner in propaganda is Steve Haynes. I think that might be my favourite intro you've ever done. Hi, Corey. It's funny because it's true. It really is. Um, so this week, the ultimate political dead cat was dropped as Boris Johnson lost four senior officials and instigated a police investigation as a masterstroke to deflect from the political crisis engulfing his administration. Will it succeed in his objective of securing another decade in power, or, or alternatively, does it at least keep him in office till, I don't know, lunchtime tomorrow? Let's find out. Steve, don't you remember Monday? Monday feels 408 years ago. And the week began with the publication of the Grey Report. (laughs) I can't believe that was Monday. Now, feels a lifetime ago, doesn't it? It really, really does. Now, bits of it were uh, left out and rewritten after uh, the Met Police's interesting intervention last week. Confusing intervention as well, given they basically originally said, oh, no, there's no issue with any of this going forward. You can publish what you like. And then turned around and went, "Uh, actually, you might prejudice the investigation, even though there's no jury to prejudice because it's not that kind of, it's not a trial. I think we were all very, very confused and intrigued. Actually, the Met Police could investigate retrospective crimes. After months of saying they couldn't. The Grey Report essentially, I might as well summarise it, listeners, because you've probably already forgotten what it said, talked about a failure of leadership and judgment in Downing Street. It said there was excessive consumption of alcohol. We have returned to no alcohol on this podcast. You'll be pleased to know, listeners, this is good old tea out of a Lancashire County Cricket Club mug. Also said uh, uh, the biggest bombshell was that 12 Downing Street parties are currently being investigated by the Metropolitan Police and four of them Boris Johnson is meant to have been present at. Now, all of that is true, Steve, and yet somehow that is not the worst thing that's happened to Boris Johnson this week. Probably the most positive thing that's happened to him this week, simply because the uh, Met investigation into the parties, as we've kind of already said, has meant that the details, the, the, the salacious details of these parties haven't been published yet. As a result of that, you know, when this first happened, it, it almost looked like somebody had thrown a uh, you know a, a life raft out to Boris Johnson, and that he was able to keep his head above the water that little bit longer because the nitty gritty details, which would have driven an awful lot of the um, press and media for for the for the report, weren't available. The flip side of that, I think, though, is that two weeks ago we talked about how it seemed incredible that the consensus among Tory MPs was that because there'd been a defection, that was good news for Boris Johnson. And now we have a ridiculous situation where the announcement of a, of a police investigation into things that happened in the Downing Street flat, well, not in Downing ta- in ta- Street and Boris Johnson flat itself, somehow is good news for Boris Johnson, which I think tells you, it tells you a lot, I think. We'll go into the actual details of, of this in a, in a little bit. But that, oh no, this is this is good news for the government or this is the government actually doing something properly was also the spin they took when um, Munira Mirza resigned and then they fired three of the senior bods 
from 10 Downing Street's office as well. Immediately, the whips were, the, the Tory whips were getting, uh, Tory MPs to tweet out that this is a sign of the, of what, what, uh, Johnson promised to, uh, to Tory MPs at the 1922 committee. I think that was earlier this week as well. well that was also on. Was that on Monday? I'm pretty sure that was Monday. Yes, because it would have been the uh, it, the would have been the talking about the the Gray report to the uh, to mm. do the things. But yeah, as part of that meeting, he basically said, "Change is coming. We're gonna we're gonna have a clear out. We're gonna we're gonna bring in a new way of doing things." And then they started spinning that after a long time policy aide resigned quite spectacularly, and then the uh, they then fired three other people very very quickly and suddenly. And they're trying to spin that as though they're in control and that they know what they're doing, when in reality, it's all reactionary. Like, people have been com- comparing the government's response to comical Ali. No, there are no Americans in Baghdad. There are no in- Americans in Baghdad whilst American tanks are literally driving down the road behind him. It all feels a little bit like that, uh, where they're just saying, no, everything's fine, everything's fine, all of this is, 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 is positive. I think it's an extension of what I think I'm going to call the Bastani fallacy, which was... Everyone's favourite Navarra media grifter tweeting, I think in December, that no one cares about Downing Street parties, why they had a Labour leading on this issue. I think there's been so much cynicism. So the elevation of... uh, A lot of guff is talked about the Red Wall. We've talked about it a little bit on the podcast. And it's been a constant sort of, oh, well, this won't play in the Red Wall or this doesn't matter to Red Wall voters. has become a bit of a cynical catch-all, I think, for both MPs and journalists to say that actually these are not the issues that people really care about. What people actually care about is X, Y, Z or what have you. And it's a bit of a lazy, rather, rather than actually working out, is this a bad scandal on its own terms? It's sort of, well, ordinary people won't care and therefore it's somehow all right for Johnson to get away with it. And I think a lot of that thinking has just permeated into this debate and actually has, you've got this real disconnect between what Tory MPs are thinking and actually where the public sentiment is on these issues. 100%, absolutely. We are getting ahead of ourselves though, because you mentioned Thursday, we haven't even got out of Monday yet. So what happened on Monday? Well, the Grey Report came out, Boris Johnson then gave a statement in the House of Commons that all sort of went okay until people started asking him questions, which is never a good idea with Boris Johnson, really. You had uh, Theresa May. Do you remember Theresa May? Apparently she used to be Prime Minister. I yeah. don't remember that. But the level of confidence displayed by this version of Theresa May compared to Theresa May as Prime Minister is, is quite stark. Well, it, it's, it's the withering put-downs, isn't it? I mean, obviously, you know, Windrush generation and bosh, bosh Brexit deals. Oh, yeah, terrible prime minister. Uh, in fact, w- one of my Facebook memories came up of something I must have, I think, put out about this time three years ago, which was only Theresa May would whip MPs to vote against their own Brexit deal. <laughs> which is funny, but also not true, because Boris Johnson spent the last 18 months literally trying to throw out the deal the only person negotiated. And so Theresa May in the House of Commons stands up and basically asks Johnson, there are three things that might have gone on here. Either you hadn't read the lockdown rules, you hadn't understood the lockdown rules, or you thought they didn't apply to number 10. Which one was it? To which, actually, I think, to be fair to Boris Johnson, the only answer I reckon is probably all of the above. Yeah, he definitely hadn't read them, definitely didn't understand them, and he absolutely did not think he needed to abide by them anyway. Except that the real scandal on Monday was Boris Johnson saying that Keir Starmer as director for public prosecutions, didn't prosecute Jimmy Savile. Now, there's no evidence for this. 
It's a rumour that's been... It's a sort of QAnon-style rumour, actually, isn't it? Yeah, really? yeah. essentially, people have just gone and gone... At the, right, so at the same sort of time, the Crown Prosecution Service was looking uh, at possibly prosecuting Jimmy Savile was also when Starmer was in charge of it. Um, and so... In, in certain areas, what that has means, and well, if you are in charge of it, that means you're responsible for for the this decision not not happening and this person being being uh, allowed to walk free. Uh, the only issue is, as you say, there's no evidence of that. Starmer was not involved in the decision directly. He was re- involved in the review of the decision after the fact and basically said, no, this is problematic. These are the changes that we need to bring in to ensure that this doesn't happen. Uh, so this doesn't happen again. And yeah, so. It is something which has got no factual basis at all. Johnson making that statement in the house is 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 it is what well, is one thing because he can get away with it in there because you can't be sued for what you say in the house. But it's been very interesting that not a single person has gone on to say it again outside of the House of Commons. The number ten spokesperson, I think, refused to repeat the remarks, didn't they? Yeah. In the almost six years now we've been doing this podcast, we have undertaken so many psychological and political analyses of Boris Johnson, uh, especially the extent to which he's like Donald Trump. And actually, I think this this is straight out of the Trump playbook. Simply in the sense that, from, from, from all accounts, uh, this as an attack line was mooted to Johnson or Johnson suggested it as an attack line and got told, no, don't do that by his advisors, but then went ahead and did it anyway because like, he just wanted to... to the thrust of, of, of battle at the uh, at the pulpit wanted to to have a nice moment where he could actually slap Keir Starmer down. Um, so in that sense, yeah, it is because it's it's just him doing something because he wants to do it. Well, it's well, it, and it's very revealing of the kind of person he is. Where it's this facade that he's come across as this sort of comic bumbling figure. Actually, there's a very dark, sinister side. Yeah, which I think has always been there it's why you've had people like max hastings who've worked up close and personal with johnson refusing to back him as prime minister and i think actually part of the massive tumble in his approval ratings i think is more and more of the public seeing this for the first time i mean there's been some debate and discussion about is this is the mud going to stick to starmer again in the sort of way of the sort of hillary clinton pizzagate stuff it's far too early to tell but what i think is revealing is the BBC, people like Ross Atkins putting pretty clear videos out saying that there's no evidence for this, it's bogus. Even Rishi Sunak, who's been very, very careful to uh, not say anything at all, really remotely controversial, yeah. has already come out and said he wouldn't have used it. So yeah. it's not great. and it's That's hardly like the re-establishment of well-meaning, good old-fashioned political truth-telling discourse. But, you know, it's, a, it's something at least. It, it, it demonstrates, again, what we've kind of said said before that in, in some ways both both the positives of, of Johnson and the negatives of Johnson are 100% Johnson only rather than the Conservatives um, and we may very well find that whoever the next leader of the Conservative Party is a lot of the more constitutionally interesting takes that they have may go away potentially you know if you if you kick out a lot of the more Interesting figures in cabinet like Pretty Patel, um, for instance, may- maybe some of the more problematic policy areas from from, from uh, go go away because in a lot of those areas they are the, the brainchild of 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 that minister rather than it being necessarily something that runs 
through all conservatives' DNA. I mean, it could also continue, but... No, I think this, this iteration of the Tory party is very different to ones that we've seen before, yeah. I think. So, anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves, and we should save that for the Patreon podcast. We are now on to where, Thursday. This is where we talk about the resignations, isn't it? So, you've yeah. talked about this already. Manira Mirza, who has served with Boris Johnson for 14 years, she's resigned, essentially because she... Uh, did not think that Johnson's use of the Jimmy Savile slur was part of the normal cut and thrust of political debate. Yeah, and specifically states in her resignation letter that she did not effectively think the um, apology, such as it was, um, by Johnson was good enough. So he gave a separate interview, I think it must have been on the Wednesday, um, where he kind of rolled back a little bit from what he said and said it wasn't he said oh it wasn't about um you know an attack on on starmer personally it was about you know being in charge of something uh, or uh, of an organization and things going wrong etc etc and merza apparently was not happy with that that apology my, my guess is it's been said that people that advisors warned johnson not to use that attack line my guess is Merza is the one or one of them that did that. He used it. She then probably said, you need to apologise, you need to do this, you need to do this, and you need to act in this kind of way to draw a line under the matter. And then he once again failed to do so, and he and she just went, I'm done. Not just Minera Merza, though. As you said, four people went in a day, um, much like an England batting collapse, if <laughs> you remember the Ashes theme of our, our previous episode. So Dan Rosenfeld, first while not enough champagne pick for Move and Shaker in 2021. Also Martin Reynolds, the man who wrote the Bring Your Own Booze email, who's basically Johnson's principal private secretary, isn't he? So yeah. if you uh, love us of Yes Minister, he's kind of the Bernard Woolley, isn't he, to Johnson's Jim Hacker. Oh, for the days of a Jim Hacker premiership. Seem like, <laughs> seem like a golden age now. And we've got a new chief of staff, Steve. We've got Steve Barkley. I miss this. Right. But I think this happened this afternoon. So Steve Barclay's cabinet office minister. Yeah. And what they've decided is that he's, he's an MP, full-time job, he's cabinet office minister, and they're going to kind of brief up the cabinet office and make him chief of staff. Can you foresee any problems with that? Barclay having, like, so many jobs is just going to be nightmarish. And, and I think the, the only reason they've gone down this this path of kind of promoting him whilst also keeping him all of his other roles is entirely down to the fact that no one else wants it because everybody can see that this is a sinking ship and as everybody's been kind of saying online the rats don't want to jump on board no um the well interestingly so you mentioned that boris johnson's speech to the conservative parliamentary party on monday i find the biggest cheer in that was when he said that Lyndon Crosby was coming back to advise. Uh, two small problems with that. The last time a Conservative Prime Minister brought in Lyndon Crosby to advise, obviously Theresa May went from a 30-point lead in the polls looking like the most invincible politician in Britain, the new Iron Lady, uh, and then managed to crash <laughs> over the course of six weeks and completely self-destructed. The second problem with it is it doesn't seem to actually be true. Can you believe, Steve, Boris Johnson telling a lie to his own I'm MPs? absolutely shocked. But, but, but yeah, it, this is apparently this was apparently even news to Linton Crosby himself, who's apparently still in Australia. Apparently he didn't even know. So <laughs> No, it sounds like I, I get the impression that maybe... Well, I, fair play, on, I think it was Peter O'Bourne who actually phoned up and checked. Yeah. Um, imagine fact-checking a Boris Johnson speech. What a 
what a masochist Peter O'Brien must be. Um, but yeah, it does seem that a few phone calls with Vincent Crosby is not the same as him coming back on the white horse to mastermind the Downing Street operation. Also apparently in as head of comms at number 10 is Guto Hari, who I think worked for Johnston City Hall, yeah. ex of the BBC and famously, of course, last seen on GB News taking a knee and being sacked for it. To be fair, that is actually probably not a bad, a bad shout. If you want somebody, if Johnson wants somebody that he knows he can trust um, and is actually got some experience in these sorts of things, then Hari is actually a, a, a reasonable pick. It's probably a bit too late right now, um, but it's it, it's not a bad bad choice, I'd say. Presumably, his job is to try and find ministers who can go on to breakfast television without having a complete meltdown. Well, so this, yes. in, in terms of things that have gone wrong for Boris Johnson this week, I think we have seen at least the two, if not the three, interviews by Nadine Dorries. I think with Chris and Guru Murphy on Channel 4, there was one on BBC Breakfast the morning we recorded this on Saturday. Um, so there was another one on, on Channel 4 News as well, which yeah. each of them, on their own, would be among the worst interviews I've ever seen a serving cabinet minister pit, uh, give in my fifth, well, fifteen odd years of watching British politics, but the thing is, like, you can't even just say that those ones alone are like the worst things ever, because Doris has competition in the form of Jacob Rees-Mogg, the esteemed and right honourable member for the nineteenth century. <laughs> They're too contrasting. I'm going to bring it back to England's batting again. So the, the Doris thing is very much like England's batting. How can you possibly have so much calamity in such a short space of time? Like the worst three in a week. Um, and it's the swaying, it's the odd kind of gurning, it's the aggressive kind of, why are you asking me a simple factual question? <laughs> um, yeah. what, what, what was it? Have you spoken to, to the Prime Minister? Or why are you asking that? Because it's my job, and we want to know if you've spoken to the Prime Minister. Sure, just the answer is yes, isn't it? Right. Like, even if it isn't, just like say yes, because no one's going to question that you, you as a government minister, um, have she's, spoken to the, to the Prime she's Minister. She's in the cabinet. Like yeah. they're going to speak. That they have meetings and things. <laughs> I, so just. Uh, absolutely bizarre. Whereas Jacob Rees-Mogg takes the exact opposite approach. It, very calm, very polite, very slow, and yet probably did more damage to trash the Scottish Conservatives and the cause of the Union and by saying that Douglas Ross was a lightweight figure, the leader of the Scottish Tories, then double downing on it on Newsnight. You think, who is putting these people up? I, again, part of the problem seems to be no one actually wants to do it. So Grant Shapps, who is one of the better, I think, media performers yeah. was out today. Yeah, I was going to say, Grant Schatz is too busy making videos for Twitter about um, about the policy that they're doing on the trains. That's literally what he's spending all his time, which I think is a brilliant strategy of avoiding like being put up for things because he's basically just gone, I'm, I'm really sorry, Guto, I can't do this. I'm shooting something today. I'm shooting videos, and it's a major part of our department's comms strategy. Uh, but essentially, the fact that we keep on seeing Mog, we keep on seeing Dorries, it does, as you say, it suggests that there's nobody else that's willing to do this. Actually, the, the other regular person is Dominic Raab. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that, that's just because Raab is a, a very loyal... Well, definitely an officer going down with the ship. Yeah. Um, uh, in fact, the best exchange, I think, was between him and Ed Balls, wasn't it, on Good Morning Britain, sure. when um, 
Rob basically said, well, I didn't see any of this drinking problem and drinking culture when I was you know, head of number 10 during the pandemic. And Airball says, well, that's the point, isn't it? Because it was fine when you were in charge. Then Boris Johnson comes back and everything was terrible. Yeah. Uh, and then sort of Rob's face sort of changes when he realises what he said. I think then says, well, that, that's an ingenious point, which is one of those euphemisms, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, good good luck, Guto Hari. Maybe he could take a knee in the 1922 committee meeting and get sacked. That might be the best advantage of his career at the moment. <laughs> They're all things, I think. So the, the Commons performance, the resignations, uh, the uh, Linton Crosby lying to the Parliamentary Party, the existence of Nadine Dorries' videos, which... Uh, baffle any form of political communications. And one of the things we haven't talked about, which these haven't emerged properly yet, but there are reports that photos do indeed exist of Boris Johnson at said parties with a beer in hand. Apparently there's also some photos with Sunak, it's, it's alleged. Taken by the official number 10 photographer. So there's a um, there's a uh, there's, there's a gif that's been doing the rounds on on Twitter, which is from the uh, from the Simpsons, which people have been like quote tweeting um, when it with with with, uh, with it when this story broke. Uh, videotaping our crime spree was such an excellent idea. You go the Simpsons like any good guardianist. I'm going to go with a wire, and they are taking notes on a criminal conspiracy. <laughs> I've missed out a word beginning with F in that sentence. <laughs> yes. Guess which one it is, listeners. Well, this was the other thing, isn't it? Is that part of the Grey Report says is I think three hundred photos, three hundred photos, two hundred documents uh, have been submitted uh, to the Met for for the investigation. If there's official, I, like it, honestly would not shock me if an official photographer is going around going around taking these photos that every single member of the bloody cabinet has probably been caught in one of these, um, in in some form. There's just so many parties so many things happening that it would not shock me if we basically had a, just a te- checklist and went yep sunak yep trust yeah actually maybe not trust because she's been quite good no. at being out of the country when <laughs> but i suppose the thing is that if it's number 10 and 11 that this is a speculation based on nothing but actually if it's 10 and 11 and sunak sort of living there working there i don't imagine the rest of the cabinet were in that sense mm, potentially. um so I, i'm not i i, I sort of I'm not sure if that's the case. The fact is an official photographer just seems as a complete breakdown of what the world was like outside. Um, I'm not even sure I went to 16 Zoom quizzes during 2020 and lockdown. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've been to 16 Zoom quizzes or, or, or anything of that nature in the past two years. <laughs> the official photographer... The fact that he's even there on the day-to-day. Well, here's the thing. Either the official photographer is there on the day-to-day just doing their job, in which case, why are they there? That's not a necessary thing to, to actually happen. Because well, um, I think one of the days of the parties, Boris John, he'd taken photos of Boris Johnson out with a school sort of doing exercises. Okay. For kids. So it's one of those things, I think, where often stuff was happening outside, but indoor socialising wasn't allowed. Yeah, okay. Okay, that, that does make, make a bit more sense then. Because yeah, in my head, I was either like, Either you've brought the brought in the official photographer for things that they probably shouldn't have been brought in for anyway. Which, to, to be brutally honest, they probably shouldn't have been. You don't necessarily need photos of Boris Johnson. Um, no, just stop the sentence there. Yeah, that is also true. Yeah, we don't need photos of Boris Johnson uh, unless they are going to lead to his downfall. Okay, well that's fine. Um, yeah, 
<laughs> taxpayers' money was <laughs> well spent. Just to finish off, then, just so the the other the other worst thing in terms of obviously Boris Johnson is trying to do keep the show on the road for and then six more hours or twelve more days or however long it is, and we have had a trickle of MPs putting in no confidence letters. I believe for up to fifteen publicly declared. We had Nick Gibb. Remember Nick Gibb? Mm. Uh, best known for being minister for schools about eighteen different times. He's put a letter in this week. Politico playbook, so Gary Streeter, not a name I knew, but apparently sort of well-respected veteran, but an MP since 1982, put his in. And in terms of those sort of grown-up men in grey suit types. Yeah. Now, for for, for for balance, there are reports that certain M- uh, Tory MPs have rescinded their letters, um, including, uh, according to uh, a certain Michael Fabricant uh, uh, of Litchfield, uh, the MP for Litchfield, according to him, one Gary Sandbrook uh, of Gary. Northfield, uh, uh, Northfield MP, uh, has, rec- has asked for his uh, letter to be rescinded. They grow up so fast, don't they? No, they become MP at the age of thirty, and then two years time, try and take down the prime minister, and then massively row back on it and deny being a pork pie plotter. But yeah. I remember when he was defending Dominic Cummings for taking a drive to Barnard Castle. There is actually a more innocent time. There is actually a, an interesting little dynamic between um, currently who's going, who, who is putting in their letters and being quite vocal about it versus who who is not. In that, uh, originally, a lot of the um, discussion of people putting in letters was focused around like the Red Wall seat Tories. Um, as you say, the Port Pie plot, uh, uh, as it had been dubbed and, and, and such. The people that are doing it now, though, it ain't them. It very much looked from, from the, there's been some reports saying that the um, the more junior MPs, which are, which covers a lot of the uh, Red Wall uh, MPs and, and people like Gary Sandbrook, have actually calmed down and fallen in lo- a little bit more in line. But the problem is you've now got people in safe seats and who are long-serving uh, Tory MPs a number of which which have got government experience or are quite well known um, in their own little ways, turning around and saying, nah, this is this is stupid now. Well, playing out actually in the Birmingham context, so obscure Birmingham reference, which should really piss off anyone who lives there because no one from Southern Coffee wants to refer to <laughs> as obscure Birmingham reference. So Andrew Mitchell in the House of Commons on Monday stood up and said he had no confidence in Boris Johnson despite being a supporter of his for 30 years. Um, to which the obvious rejoinder is what took you so long. But also, that is, Sutton Colford is exactly the kind of seat that you're talking about. It's a safe Tory seat. Uh, the Tory association there, I think, voted 10 to nil to um, have no confidence in Johnson a few weeks ago. That made a, a bit of a splash. So I think what you're saying there is played out on the Birmingham context. You've got the up and coming sort of Red Wall MP. Um, what I, I think actually just trying to work out what the hell the prevailing mood is in the Conservative Party at any one time. It reminds me a little bit of Ben Swain in the Thick of It Season 2 specials, like trying to work, uh, go with the flow and try and work yeah. on the wrong, the right side, but yeah. never quite being on the right side. Yeah, no, I, I think there's a lot of a lot of truth to that. And, and to be honest, like, much as we, we give uh, Sandbrook <laughs> a lot of stick, fairly, I would add, um, like, I don't envy, like... <laughs> His position in terms of trying to work out work out what what to do, when to do things, and and everything. It's it's a nightmarish position. Like, and it would be a nightmarish position if this were like uh, on the on the Labour Party side or on the Lib Dem side or anything like that. I disagree because actually, I think uh, I I'm, I know this is going to sound a bit po faced. 
it's very, very simple, actually. You have to have no confidence in your Prime Minister because he's quite clearly misled the House of Commons. He should resign. But there is no... In terms of that moral question, you can't oh, equivocate yeah, yeah. on it. I would argue, and we'll probably talk about this more on the Patreon, even on the politics of it, I think if they, if Tory MPs think that somehow Johnson is not toxic and that they think that he can stagger on. So I'd, I'd say there's a difference when it comes to the, the politics of the politics of, you know, the wider politics of the national, uh, national politics and elections and things like that and the internal politics of the, uh, uh, of, of the Conservative Party itself, though. And I think that is probably the, uh, the, the issue where it comes to what do you do? Because obviously we don't give a crap about it. Put bluntly, but if you're a part of it, uh, can't they just do the right thing, Steve? That's not how politics works, Corey. <laughs> and on that note, you will notice that episodes have been a bit more sporadic this year. Uh, that's because there are council elections in Birmingham, there is a by election, there are 18,000 things to do. And unfortunately, trying to provide a steady, irreverent, and informed commentary on events is beyond my intellectual and alcohol taking capabilities at the moment so we're going to try and put out episodes when we can if only maybe to try and stay vaguely sane but we can't promise they're going to be weekly uh, for the foreseeable future but we'll try and put them out as and when there is one out this week obviously you've just listened to it um, we're hoping to record another one which will probably go out the following week and we are also going to talk um, we're going to make predictions on our Patreon podcast in which we may well break the alcohol rule. And if you want to hear us try and work out what is going to happen with Boris Johnson and inevitably be wrong, what do you have to do, Steve? Uh, you should head over to patreon.com slash not enough champagne where but for a few pounds every month, you can gain access to these unique episodes where we break our no alcohol, alcohol rule. We whip make predictions willy nilly with no fear that, uh, that we might be, might look foolish. Um, partially due to uh, being slightly tipsy from drinking wine, uh, but also just because it's, it's, it's more fun to do that, uh, in the setting of, you know, a, a close knit circle of listeners who uh, who, who uh, are quite keen to engage with these sorts of things. Our website is nothingofchampagne.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash nothingofchampagne. James Cram designed our logo. You can follow him on Twitter at James Cram and Dave Depper composed our theme tune for Key Good Times. I'm at Paperback Rioter. I'm at Acoustic Radical. Happy partying. Happy partying.